So um, let me just uh, run through a couple of quipping rhythms. This is not um, a church. I just want to make that clear, 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 clear. Um, and some of you have been around. You've heard me say that 1,000 times. But um, this is not a church. You're the church, and we exist to equip you. So people, are, you're going to get something here. You're going to see a couple of quipping rhythms through the Word, and then you're going to see some lab time where we're ministering in the Holy Spirit in a dialed-down way just to train you in dialogue and talk our way through that. Um, we have a high degree of leaders here. We have people from many different churches, and so this is an equipping ministry in the Spirit of Ephesians 4, 12, and 11 and 12. So here we go. Um, I One of my primary missions is to train people in prayer and praying the word. And so if you would all turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalms 22, I just want to show you two verses that are awesome. And then I want to model for you what you might do with those. Um, in Psalms 22 is one of the forbidden chapters. I'm not going to do this whole chapter, but that and Isaiah, Isaiah 53 are uh, by some called among Jewish people the forbidden because it talks about the suffering servant of Jesus the Messiah in Isaiah 53 and in Psalms 22. And so this is where his hands are pierced and David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes what happens in the Gospels. It's amazing. And even how they'll gamble for Jesus' clothes. You know, it's, it's, it's all in Psalms 22 and I encourage you to read it. But deep into this chapter in verse 27, I'm reading through the Psalms, praying through the Psalms. Last week, I made a plea for everybody to pray Psalms. It's the prayer book of the Bible. It is David primarily, at least 100 of the 150, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit praying. The book of Hebrews will tell us in two places that it was Jesus the Messiah praying through David. It will accredit the words literally to, and Jesus said, and we know David wrote it. So it's basically... When we pray the Psalms, it's Jesus praying through us in so many different ways and, and the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you to do that in a sequential way to grab a Psalm, grab some verses and pray. And many of you may know how to do this, but I just want to, I want to continue to stir your hearts to grab your Bibles and read them and read them slow, read them looking for phrases, trying to remember where you read or where that else that might be in the Bible. Like, for example, I'm going really, really slow for about the hundredth time through Colossians 1, 15 through 19. So when I go through, that's one of the most exalted places about Jesus. And so it says, he is the image of the living God. What, what, so I stop there and I go, oh my gosh, Jesus is the image of the living God. What should that key me to, everybody? If I hear the word, Jesus is the image of God, is there another place in the Bible that talks about the image, somebody in the image of God? Where's that? Yeah, Genesis 1.26. So Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. And so when I read that, what it says, what it's saying is where Adam failed, Jesus fully succeeded as a man. So I read that and my faith goes higher as I meditate on how Jesus did not fail. He won't fail in the temptation in the desert like Adam failed in the garden, okay? And so he's the full representation of the Father and all that God meant in man. So I meditate on that. I'm like, oh, give me fresh revelation about that. Then it says right after that, he's the firstborn over all creation. Well, I know my Bible and history. Jesus came 4,000 years at least after the creation. So how is he the firstborn over all creation? Well, 
Again, you read your Bible, you chase that phrase firstborn. You can get it and you'll find it in Psalms 89 that David, the king, number eight, there were seven other brothers, was appointed the place of the firstborn. It says that in, in Psalms 49. It's not about place of birth. It's about the place of rights and inheritance. So when it says that about Jesus, it's saying he's the firstborn over all creation. He's the, he's the heir of all creation. He and that's what it's going to say in Hebrews 1, verse 2 and 3, that he's the heir of everything. So it expands my heart. I begin to pray, Lord, Africa's yours. Asia's yours. You're the firstborn over all. The rivers, the woods, the jungles, they're all yours because you're the firstborn. You're the rightful heir of all things. Okay, so anyway, you work through that and go, so I'm just going really slow through those phrases and praying them while I'm reading Psalms 22. And I'm praying through the Psalms again and marking my little chapters, and I get to verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember. That's a great sentence. All of the ends of the earth shall remember, and they shall turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. That's a great, does anybody like Read that verse with me. That, you just like fly through that, but that's a promise. It's a declaration. All the ends of the earth are going to remember the Lord. It's going to be a global remembrance. That's good news. And then they're going to turn. They're going to repent. That's what the word repent means. The whole world is going to turn. There's going to be a global repentance and turning back to the Lord. And all the families, every tribe, every language, and I know this through Revelation 5, 9, because they're all represented in heaven, they're going to worship before you. Well, I get that, and that fires my faith. Lord, again, I pray for Africa. They're going to turn. I pray for families to turn towards you. I lift this up, this promise, and I don't just hope. I'm reminding you that you said in your word through David, all the families of the earth are going to turn to you and worship. And so when I do that, I'm praying the word of God. I feel the spirit of the Lord inside me as I'm agreeing with the mind of God. Is everybody tracking with me? I mean, this is why prayer is such so so much joy because I got the spirit within me then I'm praying the mind of the Lord I get that linked together and it's like this electric charge and you don't just have to be a worked up guy like me you can have a different personality style and really have a powerful encounter with this your king kingship belongs to Yahweh and he rules I've got present tense right here he rules over the nations now, we're seeing kings that are raging against him and people not turn, but I'm beginning to make a faith, prophetic declaration. You rule over the nations. You rule now. You're going to rule fully by breaking through the eastern sky, and you're going to have your way, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess, but I declare now. In the kingdom of darkness, hearing me, angels celebrating, you're the rightful king of all the nations. Amen? Now, it'll preach, but it'll really pray. It'll pray when you're alone in the secret place, and you pray these things, and it fires your faith. And so I just want to do this right now. I want to not just tell you that. I want you to I want to do this right now, okay? So will you pray this, however you want to do it? Um, in fact, we're equipping. Please stand up. And there's nothing the Bible says you have to stand up to pray, by the way. I just want you to be involved with me. So can you look at that? Does everybody have your Bible? Do you have your Bible? You're looking at it, and what I want you to do 
is you just pray that. You can pray it, you know, I mean, we're in a room full. We love, we love Korean prayer when they all pray at the same time. But just would you pray through Psalms 22, 27, and 28? You're going to read a phrase, then you're going to pray the phrase, okay? So let me do it for you. All the ends of the earth shall remember. Lord, all the ends of the earth. So, Lord, I pray for the global, forget, the global amnesia to be broken off in Jesus' name. Do you see what I did? I got a word and I went with a phrase. Lord, the, the darkness of the devil, the great make forgetter. <laughs> I'm making things up. Would you break his power and let the nations remember that you're their maker? See what I did? Okay, so do that. Do that with phrases and pray through that slowly. And I'll give you just a couple of minutes. And we want to practice what we preach. Go for it. Ooh, that's a pretty sound. Say the phrase of the scripture and then put your own words to it. Just keep going. Keep practicing. You can do this. <clears throat> Lean your heart in. Say it to the Lord. Oh, there it is up there. That's cool. Okay. Now, there's a measure of joy that can be had by us doing that in a room like this in a lab, okay? But I'm telling you, this gets real fun when you're by yourself. When you're by yourself with your Bible and the Holy Spirit who inspired it through David's mouth, you, you're linking in with 3,000 years ago inspiration that's alive right now. Does that make sense? Your Bible, you're saying words, you know you're praying the will of God. How do we, this is how nobody should ever say, I don't have enough to pray, I don't know what to pray. <laughs> You've got a full Bible to pray. And so activate your Bible. Plus, I tell you, this will be one of the best ways you'll memorize your Bible. Because you'll start praying a phrase, you'll look back, you'll look back at it, then you go and you say it again, and then you'll, it's just a powerful thing because it gets deep in your heart. So Father, I'm gonna pray at the end of this equipping time, in the name of Jesus, would you equip your saints to pray the Bible? Equip us to pray the word. We pray for John 15, 7. If we abide in you and your words abide in us, we'll ask whatever we wish and we will have it. I pray for people who abide in your presence and who your word abides in them and it comes out of their mouth and out of their hearts as we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, God, raise up a praying people that pray the Bible. Equip us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Three times this week, phase two, and then Jonathan's gonna do phase three. If you would turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 4, Three times this week, I was in a conversation. I was in a prayer, prayer meeting one time and twice in a conversation, and this came up, and it, it a little bit surprised me because I feel like this is one of my more redundant themes, but people are like, what? What is that? What did you just say? And so I want to just say it again here tonight. I believe with all of my heart that in this generation, we're moving from an orphan culture to a sunship, sunship culture. Do we have that phrase? We're moving, I believe, from an orphan culture in the church to a sonship culture. I want to really major, 
say that I don't mean any defaming words toward the generation above me, the one before that, the one before that, okay? But something's shifting right now at a, at a large-scale process, and, it, you, and you really don't have, a, have to have a high IQ to see it happening. My grandpa was a Southern Baptist deacon who made me thirsty for the Bible. Fifth grade education, had a Bible with check marks, but I've told this story, just like, oh, down in Southeast Missouri, I'd see this thing, and at 10 years old, it gripped my heart and made me a Bible addict, seeing that he loved his Bible. But my grandpa never, ever talked to me about his relationship with the Lord. What he did was he invited me to church. He invited me to church. His dialogue with people was primarily getting people to come and hear the preacher. Come and pe- people to come and hear the church. Come and hear a guy preach the gospel, okay? Good, that's good. I'm not anti that. But I didn't have any, he wasn't able to translate. His dad, I'm not even sure it was a believer, maybe late in life, okay? Four generations back. But he was, a, you know, a deacon, taught Sunday school, and was not able to express that. That's not a derogatory thing. He had no training there. My dad moved a little beyond that, was able to talk somewhat about his relationship, but mostly talked about spiritual disciplines. He moved from more than just talking about going to a place where we did church stuff, which is good, but he moved beyond that to talking about outside of there, he was reading his Bible, and he was praying, and we'd talk about spiritual disciplines, but he had a little bit of a hard time communicating with me fully about his intimate walk and encounters with the Holy Spirit. I, by the grace of God, am in a generation, it's not just me, it's the whole, it's my generation and that pushing us up under. We're in a generation now that's talking and can talk intimately about the Lord outside of a church service and in outside of just some spiritual disciplines, which again, are all good things. But we're able to actually look with nuanced discernment into the hearts of the younger generation and speak into them and do it. We're about to do it with lab time. You're gonna see it here up in a minute. I believe the Bible for that is 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14 and 15. We'll probably have these verses up here. These are, again, 16 years ago when we started this ministry, this was so important to me. It says, I do not write these things, Paul says, to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, my beloved children, is what he'll call them. For, verse 15 is the key verse, for though you have countless guides or tutors, some of you may have. In Christ, you do not have many fathers slash mothers, I would put there. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That, that verse 15, to me, is the shift that we're in right now. I believe that my generation above me was full of tutors and guides. And listen, when I was, um, I think the translation I used to read would say guardians. You have 10,000 guardians. I thought it was guardian angels when I didn't know my Bible and because I'd heard that phrase. It's not. The word is guides or tutors, and it was a Greek word at that time, listen, for Roman teachers that would enculturate the children of the nations they took captive. They would send the parents away to slave labor and they would train the children and enculturate them and give out decent information, okay, about culture and about various education things. And so they were tutors, but they weren't parents. They were tutors, but they weren't parents. There's a difference. They were information disseminators. They were not character impartational kind of people. Does that make sense to you? 
apparent can train the heart. Contrain the heart, nurtures, looks and sees with discernment the heart of something. A tutor is about the curriculum, and the curriculum can be great. I'm so thankful for all the teachers that stood on platforms and wrote books so I could read them, but they were tutors to me. I personally have never had a father in the faith, never. I'm one of those generations. I'm an orphan guy who's now becoming a father, and I'm doing it awkwardly, and so I had a bunch of babies. Amy and I have nine kids. It's like, it's a little bit of a prophetic thing. We're way in over our head trying to father a bunch of people, okay, because that's really what's in my heart to do. I don't want to do church. What I want to do is raise up sons and daughters of the living God. And so the Bible, if you'll read Paul, he's really into this. He'll talk about the spirit of sonship. I pray about it every day. My father who art in heaven, I pray the Lord's prayer every day. Bam, I'm right there praying about the spirit of sonship. Break off of me the spirit of fear and shame. Let me walk in a spirit of sonship where I engage you as father, and then I can interpret that. I can speak that to the generation under me. So when I'm meeting with young people, I'm talking about the good, bad, and ugly of what it is inside Sammy, how I've pursued Jesus. Then I'm looking deep and listening and asking questions so that I can identify the glory of what God's done in these individuals. I'm, I just love fathering. I love the process. I don't, I don't know how good I am at it, but I think that the generation under us is going to do it way better than we are. But we're in the middle of shifting from orphans to fathers, okay, to sonship, to where we're working in, we're making sons and daughters of the living God who can walk under the Spirit. So John five nineteen, you might write that by that passage and later gets a big deal to us. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Oh, if that was the template, if that was the motivator for every meeting, everything we do. I said earlier, like now, I thought I was going to do this, but I was asking for permission in my now. I'm in a now relationship with the Father who's right here with me. That makes sense, right? I don't go to a mountain, get the information, run down with my tablets, and hand it to you. That's, that's not where we are. I'm in the Spirit right now. And so y'all have been here when I can't preach my sermon because what I thought I had discerned earlier is not what's happening in the now. And so I have to shift because I'm a son, I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave to ministry, a slave to information. I'm a son of the living father. And it's more important to me to be doing what he's doing instead of just trying to get you good information, okay? And so I just want to encourage you that you're in the middle of an amazing moment. Uh, Creation itself, Romans 8, is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It's sonship that the Holy Spirit's working on drawing out of the church so that we're all a family who's doing what the Father's doing, not just checking things off a list. And it, it changes how you think about holiness, how you think about ministry and every kind. So, Father, I pray for everyone in this room, and we'll deal with this in just a bit but more, but I just ask break off the orphan spirit off what, whatever all that is where we're just under tutelage to, that we're just responding to information but not to relationship orphans are about information and are insecure and are competing and looking for the stage and can't find their identity sons are free in the father given permission fully satisfied and identified and then move out from that and so lord i pray 
break slavery off everybody in this room, everybody that'll listen to this. Thank you for this revolution in the body of Christ that's birthing sonship. I pray even as these guys read through their New Testaments, they start to notice how much the father-son dialogue, that, 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 that whole metaphor is used. And I just pray we could come into the fullness of all you've called us to in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Phase three. Phase three. Good evening, everybody. It was so much fun to worship with you all. Amen. Can we just say thank you to the Lord for these songs that we could sing together? Just praise him again for that. Careful, if you don't clap louder, I'm going to make you say no one again. It's going to be awkward. I'm uh, Jonathan, and I'm here with my beautiful wife, Lizzie, and our six kids from El Dorado. And uh, it's just an honor to be back with you guys tonight. Sam texted me last night and said, do you have anything to share in your heart? And I said, let me pray a little bit. And I was falling asleep last night, and I heard a phrase, and I want to share with you what the Lord's just been talking to me about today. And I want to... um, really piggyback on exactly what he was saying. I I love when the Spirit kind of puts these things together because what I wanted to talk about for just a few minutes tonight was the transition that's happening in the body of Christ from the Eli generation to the Samuel generation and what's happening in the church and how the Lord's waking us up. Even tonight, it's happening. Uh, I saw a vision of the Spirit. Remember, it says in Genesis 1, the Spirit was brooding over the waters. And when the Spirit broods over something, it means he's standing ready to execute the Lord's will. And when the Spirit is brooding over you, you can feel something happening. You can't put words to it exactly, but you know the Lord is moving in your midst. And some of you I saw like with a, a, a cloud above your head here, and the Spirit is brooding over some of you tonight. And I want to encourage you to not walk through that cloud to the other side. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to stay there tonight. Whatever the Lord's doing in you right now, if, if he's speaking to you something that Sam hasn't said or I'm not going to say, he might be speaking something different, but let him speak to you because the Holy Spirit is standing ready to execute the Father's will in your life. Does that make sense? So could we just pause just for a moment? We don't need to hurry through this. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convince the hearts in here that need to be convinced of the dynamic power that you have for them at their disposal. I pray that you would fill them with the knowledge of the Father's will for breakthrough tonight, the good gifts he has for them. And I pray for six, eight, 10, 12 hearts in here to say yes tonight, Lord, to what you're doing. Holy Spirit, move in power on those hearts, whoever you are. I pray in Jesus' name you'd be filled freshly. Finish the sentence for me, guys. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, and where dead religion is, there is fill in the blank. There's powerlessness. There is a hopelessness, and there's an effort to work harder to try to achieve something that you ought to be achieving. And uh, if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, I want to take just a minute here to walk through uh, what I see the Lord is doing in this time. Uh, I heard the phrase last night as I was falling asleep, I'm about to do something that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. 
The Holy Spirit said, I'm about to do something that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. I thought, where is that? I don't even remember what scripture that was in. I had to go look it up for Samuel chapter 3. And the Lord is saying to Samuel here, I'm about to do damage to the religious system that Eli and his wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, remember them, had set up in religion and the temple worship. I'm about to destroy what they've built up. And the other two times this is used in the Old Testament is when in 2 Kings chapter 21, they're talking about the reign of Manasseh. And the Lord says, I'm about to break Manasseh's kingdom to the point where anyone who hears about it, their ears are going to tingle. And another time, Jeremiah is standing there in the Valley of Hinnom, and he's talking about disaster for Judah and Jerusalem. The Lord says, I'm going to break Judah and Jerusalem because of their idol worship. Actually, both of those times, they were sacrificing children. And the Lord said to me last night, I'm going to do something that's going to make ears tingle. And that's what the message I have for you tonight is. Don't forget everything that's ever happened in human history has happened because of what the Lord wants to do in and through and because and for his church. That's a wild statement. Everything that happened in human history and that has happened is turning around the center point, which is God's desire for a man, Christ Jesus, his people on the planet, and his intents and purposes for them and his sovereign timing. For instance, everything went down real bad for Egypt, right? With the 10 plagues. And the entire world heard about that for hundreds and thousands of years after that. Why? Because the Lord had a promise he was fulfilling for his people. Anybody remember Cyrus in Isaiah 45 that was prophesied? This pagan king that was going to come and take over the world ruler, Babylon, at that time. Why? Because he was going to set this little tiny flock free to go back and build the temple. Joseph and Mary, Caesar Augustus called what? A census in the land. Why? So Joseph and Mary, these two insignificant little people, could get on a donkey and make their way to Bethlehem so Christ Jesus could be born. Everything that's done by governors, rulers, nations, societies, presidents, you name it, is done because of what the Lord wants to do in the church. Don't forget that. Because everything that's happening right now, I really believe, is turning around the Lord's prophetic desire and his decree for the church. Listen to me. The church is going to be a shining, spotless bride when Jesus comes back, yes? Are we right now? Kind of adulterated ourselves with the world a lot, I have. The church is going to look like the first century church in Acts. Do we look like that right now? Are we giving everything away to each other, or do we sue other non- our brothers and sisters over property rights? And what is it going to take for the... It's going to take what's happening right now in society. The Lord is setting us free as a church, and he's actually deconstructing the system of worship and the system of religion like he did in Eli's time. So real quick... Real quick, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. The Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. 
His sons blasphemed God, the priests in the temple, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. That's not a fun prophetic word to get, but Eli had an opportunity to repent, and he didn't. Okay, so Eli represents the old guard. Eli represents the old religious system. What adjectives did they use to describe Eli? Old, fat, blind, and he was always sitting down. Every time we meet Eli, he's either laying down or sitting down because he was not walking in faith. He could not stand up. When he died, even, he fell off his chair backwards and broke his neck. Samuel, on the other hand, was young and vibrant, and he was not dull to the voice of the Lord. He had revelation, and he was quick to move. And there's a transition happening in the church right now where his sons are coming forth and daughters who are hearing his voice and responding. Are you one of them? Samuel was always, every time in the first few chapters here, Samuel's always in the presence of the Lord. And Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Samuel served under Eli in the presence of the Lord. Samuel slept in the temple near the ark where the presence of the Lord was. Eli slept in his own place, but Samuel loved his presence this new guard being raised up. A prophet comes in chapter 2, starting in verse 27, to rebuke Eli. Why? Because Eli had honored his sons, his heritage, his tradition above the Lord. He loved his wicked sons more than God. And so God says in verse 30, look, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me, I will disregard. Eli had no time for the presence of the Lord. I will raise up, God says, a faithful priest, and he will do, verse 35, he will do according to what's on my heart and my mind. How about that for the church? Let's do what's on God's heart and on his mind and not what's on the heart of any man or woman. God, what's on your heart for my neighbors? What's on your heart for the body around me? What, what do you want me to do? What's the knowledge of your will for my life, God? This is the condition that Samuel grew up in. Chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. One night, Eli's, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. But the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. There's a transition happening. The word of the Lord, the prophetic right now word of the Lord, is rare in the church in the United States. Yes, but it's changing there are not many visions happening. People seeing Jesus high and lifted up, yes, but it's changing. Why? Because the lamp of God has not yet gone out in the church. Amen to that? The flame's still there. Fan it into flame, God. Come, Lord Jesus, and blow on it. I still have a small love for you in my heart, but it's weak, God. It's weak, God, but don't let me waste my life on worldly things. Would you fan it into flame that I could be a burning one? Would the Lord do that in his church? Eli received a prophetic word that both of his sons were going to die on the same day. Not only did they die, but one of his son's wives 
died while she was giving birth to Ichabod. Not a popular name these days. Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. The glory of the Lord has departed the temple. It's, it's gone away, his wife says. She's lamenting. But the lamp had not gone out. Because of Eli, because of his sons, because of their wickedness, the ark of God, the presence has been lost to the Philistines. Remember that? They came and captured it. And then we get the whole fun story where they put the ark of God in Dagon's temple and Dagon falls down, his arms break off. It's super fun. It's like giggly fun to read. And then the Philistines are like, oh, we got to get rid of this. What do we do? Let's put it on a cart. Let's put some gold tumors in there and some gold rats and send it back as a peace offering because we can't handle the presence of the Lord. Look at this, guys. This is what's happening. Look with me. Look, look, look. Chapter 6. This is what's happening when the ark of God, when the presence of the Lord returns to Israel. Chapter 6 of 1 Samuel, verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up and saw the ark... They rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects, and they placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The presence of the Lord comes back to his people during a time of harvest. And that's what's happening. The presence is returning to the church, not just here, everywhere. And it's coming at a time of harvest. Can you hear me? The harvest is here. The harvest is here. It's time to pray for boldness, to be filled with the Holy Spirit that others might come in. I don't care about the lost, and I feel fearful when it's time to witness. Pray. How does anything change in your life? You pray. Lord, change me. The flame is small. Change me. Stoke it into flame. The time of harvest is here because the Spirit of the Lord is returning to his church. Lastly, I'm going to finish up here in just a minute. When the glory of the Lord returns, it's not enough to just rejoice and say, yay, God's presence is back. Let's continue like normal. This is what happens, and this is what's happening right now. And this is what I want to ask you tonight. Chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. Then all the people, verse 2, then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord when they got the ark back. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then one, rid yourselves of the foreign gods and Asheroths, and two, commit yourselves to the Lord, and three, serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. And then in verse six, when they had assembled at Mitzpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. In verse eight, they said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hands of the Philistines. I want to plead with you guys absolutely no condemnation, no law about this. 
and I want to plead with you to confess your sins before the Lord. If you want the presence of the Lord living out and through you, are you willing to give up your idols of sports or money or success or boyfriend, girlfriend or spouse or children? As Eli was not able to do that, he lost it. Are you able to give it up? And would you let water be poured out from your eyes and say, Lord, change me? And would you say, Jesus, don't stop interceding for me until you make me like you? Oh, God, that you would do this in your church. I pray in Jesus' name for a transformation. This is how the New Testament sums up everything I just said to you, and I'll finish with this. Matthew chapter 21. The transition, the stewardship of the church is transitioning from the old guard, Eli. And as Sam said, we have nothing bad to say about our forefathers. We have stood on their shoulders to be here. But there is a transitioning happening to Samuel's in the church. The church is being stewarded by presence-loving sons. Will you join that? Matthew chapter 21 sums up everything I just said like this, starting in verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard, who's the owner of the vineyard, guys? Whose fruit is it? He deserves the fruit. He deserves the rewards of his suffering, and he'll come back to get it. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? The ones who've been bad stewards of the presence of the Lord. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants, those men and women who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. My neighbor belongs to the Lord, yes? Will I give Jesus his share, or will I not steward it well? It's a question I'm asking myself. No law will get you, no ought to will get you to love your neighbor more. This is crying out to the Lord to change us. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, have you ever read the scriptures? The stone, remember the large stone where the ark of God stopped? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God and its stewardship will be taken away from you, the Eli generation, and it will be given to a people who will produce its fruit, the spirit-filled church. Anyone who falls on this stone, like the Philistines did with their sin offerings, the gold tumors and rats, and they threw it on the top of that stone, anyone who cast themselves in their sin and addictions and their character flaws on that stone will be broken to pieces. Praise the Lord for that. But anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The Lord's transferring ownership and stewardship of the church to a presence-based people. May it be you and me. Amen? Amen. Amen. So there you go. Three rhythms in the word. Enjoy that. So what we're going to do is with our final time is what we um, we do quite a bit um, is what's called a lab time. 
And so um, this is fraught with danger. And the danger's not that I could have a very embarrassing moment right now. That's, that's not the danger. The danger is that somehow y'all think that I'm the only, we're doing this because everybody can do this. And here's what we're committed to, is that the church is a presence-carrying, prophesying family according to Acts chapter 2. God birthed the family on the earth and said, I'm going to put my spirit on all flesh, sons and daughters, right? And then they'll prophesy. We believe in a church that moves in inspiration. And for you Bible people, I'm a Bible guy. First Timothy, the whole book of First Timothy was written as practical instruction of how Timothy could apply the prophecies over his life. First Timothy 1, 19 says this, I charge you, Paul's saying, this is the beginning of the thing, this charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously said about you. So Timothy led to the Lord. He got some guys around him. Paul and them prophesied, inspired words about Timothy's destiny. Then he writes the book of 1 Timothy that's blessed generations to help him steward, and it says to fight the good warfare. This is fraught with danger because it's happening with a bunch of people in a room, and um, it can be manipulated. There's all that. Man, check. You be good Bereans, and don't you fall for any manipulative whatever. But I am under the impression that the church deals with a high level of illiteracy in moving under inspiration. I don't mean that as a derogatory. I think the church does great listening, writing it down, and trying to go do it. And praise God for that, honestly. But the church, you, you've got the living Holy Spirit inside you. And you need to know how to respond to that. How do I respond to the check no and to the yes and to the picture I get about somebody or the phrase or the Bible? That you got to know how to do that because that's really the gift to our neighbors and our city is that you and I carry more than a message. We carry the man. Somebody understand that? We carry a message, yes, but we carry the man Christ. The Messiah's inside us, and he sent his Holy Spirit. And so you're about to witness a few moments of me trying to work that out and describe it to you so that we can empower you to do this in your normal everyday life. We want to see you. This is, I'm so sorry that the word prophecy is a dirty word or that the prophetic has been, you know, maligned, but it just has. And because the enemy hates it, hates it. It's the primary thing he said the church would do. We would prophesy, which means speak inspired truth, all right? And so we're always trying to clean that up a little bit and have it Bible-centered and then model it in front of you. So I'm going to function in the way I do. I have, a, I have my grace gifts out of the seven grace gifts. I hope you know that's one of our big deals uh, because it's your spiritual personality, but a couple of minor leadership and prophecy. And so I move this way a little bit. I think that way. I, some people are service and they're mercy, and we love all the gifts, love them all. But I'm going to move through this in a way that's going to be that way. So what we want to do is I'm going to pray, and I'm really hoping you'll keep your eyes open and that we will uh, all relate with the Lord in a non-religious way but recognizing he's in the room. So here I go. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that your Holy Spirit's in the room. You're as real as we are, and you're here inspiring us to speak to one another, to, for living stone to relate with living stone. And so would you, again, another night at the end of July in 2020, train us. Train us how to do this, how to be your mouthpieces in this generation, and how to speak to each other under inspiration, without manipulation, biblically, by your governance, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I've done this hundreds of times. I'm going to do it again. And all I'm going to do is I'm just going to be real in front of you. You may be inspired by this. Some of you are going to be more than others. Some of you are going to go, this is the fruitiest thing I've ever seen. Okay? And some of you are going to go, wow, that's awesome. But here's how it happens for me. Earlier I'm praying about this moment. And I get, <laughs> I have two things primarily, and then we're, we're going to say, I, I had an impression. What do I mean impression? I had a little picture, a vision. I don't know. I don't think, I'm not going to, I just had an impression. I had a strong impression as I prayed, Lord, what do you want to do here of me putting 10 stars on the chest of many of you? What in the world is that, you freak show? What I think that means is deputizing. What I, mean that, what I think that means is giving permission, saying to you reality of who you already are for maybe some people in the room who feel tentative about stepping out in boldness in what God's called you to do. That's what I interpret it to mean. When I take the picture back to my Bible, I think about Samuel endorsing, giving permission, deputizing David. He did it with Saul too, okay? And I'm not the prophet and you're the king, but you know, there's, there's some dynamics that apply. I believe, and I wanna ask this question, there may not be one person like that, but I wonder if there's anyone in this room that has felt some stirrings from the Lord, but you have struggled with insecurity, tentativeness, or sense of disqualification to actually step out and pursue what God's put in your heart. If that's true of you, here's the awkward deal. I need you to stand up. And don't stand up to make me look, I'll be okay. I'm, I'm all right. I go home with the redhead. It's all good for me. I'm all, I don't need you to stand up. Now, I know a bunch of you are. But here's, here's, here's the deal. Here's the shepherd's heart. Here's what I think the Father's doing. I'm moving under, oh, Kevin. Sorry, I was distracted by him. I am moving, uh, I feel the shepherd's heart moving in me. I could do this with one person in the hallway. I don't need to do it with a bunch of you, but I'm trying to model how to do this. I'm responding to the leadership of the Spirit inside my heart the best I know. And so there's a bunch of you here. I don't have any 10 stars. That's not the point. It's the metaphor. The Bible's full of metaphors, okay? Oh my gosh. How old are you? You're 16. We got 16-year-olds. How old are you? 42. We just got a lot, we got a couple generations here. We got a couple generations standing up dealing with this. And probably not everybody standing up that deals with it, and you're okay. Don't you feel an ounce of shame when you leave this room and go, I didn't stand up when Sam did that, and I knew I was supposed to. Don't waste your time doing that. Just receive where you are. God sees you, okay? 
But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray. My response in this is to pray specifically a spirit, a, 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 just a simple Bible prayer and the inspiration of the Spirit by Jesus that he would begin to minister. So here's, I'm just going to do it. So I need everybody that's sitting down, that's my leadership team right now, keep your eyes open and pray. You that are standing up, would you close your eyes, <laughs> bow your head. There's nothing religious about that. I just want you to receive and I want us to give. So y'all that are sitting down, what, what I mean by you participating with me is if you agree, you can amen. Okay, and you may have other things you want to pray. So, Father, I pray for everybody standing up, man and woman, child and older person that have been under the harassment of the lying snake that made this about their qualification and not the qualification of Jesus. I'm asking right now for supernatural grace to walk out Hebrews 12, 2, that they would set their eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter, of their faith. I pray you give them grace to be free from the habitual pattern of looking at themselves instead of looking at you. Ooh, do you hear a bunch of people amen for you? That's going to happen for you. God, give them grace to break the habitual addiction of counting how worthy they are instead of looking at how worthy you are. We all struggle with it. But that platform that the devil stood on to shame them, I pray that be removed right now. That the blood of Jesus and the word of their testimony would overcome the enemy that's been stealing this thing from their heart. And I pray that your fresh call, your fresh fire, your fresh assignment, the thing they suspected, the dream from the Holy Spirit that's been birthing in their heart, God, I pray that it would just well up with strength right now. And they would not... Of course they don't have the power to perform it. That's why they need you. <laughs> I pray they would delight in their weakness because you perfect your power in the midst of weakness. Let them be a people who lay hold of your grace, not just for salvation, but for power to minister your name. Let no one be ashamed of the thorn in the flesh that they carry, but it's actually to their advantage for your glory. So whether they're going to seminary and trying to figure out why, <laughs> or they're 16 and already dealing with the things of God, how powerful, or 42 in the sunset of life and have got passion, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Rekindle their, the joy of their salvation. And, the, and, the, and that you make up for the years that the locusts have eaten away. You're a great restorer. And so just lastly, here we go. I'm praying for confidence. The church called it a spirit of boldness. But I pray for confidence, a sense of qualification to suddenly rise up on the, in them. That's not pride. It's pure out confidence in what you've, the, the fulfillment of your presence, fulfilling your promises. deputize them, <laughs> endorse them. And what I mean by that is show them who they already are, what you've known for a long time. Break the narrative, the dialogue that's pri primarily be what you're saying, Jesus, not what the devil's saying. I pray insecurity would begin to melt away, tentativeness, and they begin to move.